0: Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Dan. I'm the family pastor here, and uh, we are kicking off a series today called God's Table. And if we had like a, a theme verse for this, it would be out of Psalm chapter 23, verse 5, and it says, You prepare a table. Before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And as we are talking as a team on what do we do after Easter, we are really... Looking at the idea that God so often uses the familiar things to give us spiritual lessons, doesn't he? And and we wanted to talk about what does it look like um, As we understand the greatest story ever told of God's gift for us is how do we tell people about that? And so often the table is the place where we talk uh, uh, to different people in our lives. In the Hamrick house growing up, in my, in my family's house, Sunday was always a big day My dad is a pastor, uh, he still pastors a church now In Osceola, Indiana called Cedar Road Missionary Church and, uh, and so we'd get ready, I have two siblings So our family of five on a Sunday morning It was a little bit chaotic um, for what was going on And so we'd get up, my mom helped get us all ready we get to church and, and so the question always became, and maybe this is familiar in your home On what we were going to do for lunch after church, right? Like what's going to happen? Is it takeout? Is it? You know, is there going to be a type of meal? But, but we, my parents, whatever reason, I don't know if they solved this uh, early on in marriage, but they had a decision that every Sunday they just had the same meal, um, and that way uh, they wouldn't have to make any decisions. And, and those of you, maybe this is, was your Sunday growing up. For our home, it was on Sunday, pot roast. Pot roast. This is my meal every sunday uh without fail uh, we'd come home and so anybody else this is what you had sunday yeah and so this is what we'd have and i need to let you in on a little secret i don't like pot roast <laughs> i have confessed my sins to my mother on this whole thing uh, she knows but every sunday i last easter uh, this last week i called my mom and dad and said hey how'd service go they do great I go hey what'd you guys have for dinner no joke Pot roast. They had pot roast, and I said, "Mom, I'm so glad I wasn't there for dinner." Um, And uh, and so that's every. To be honest, it's funny. um, My wife uh, Stephanie, she she kind of had similar things with pot roast. That was kind of the meals that was going on. And so we, when we got married, we put in our vows that there would never be pot roast on Sunday, um, because that's how dedicated we were to not eating pot roast, and so as I talked to my parents, I started asking them a couple things on, hey, why, why did you do that, Can-? found out there's three reasons, my mom had three reasons um, that we would do it, number one, it was easy, right, like it was one of those things, she'd, st- she'd wake up, she'd have everything ready, she'd put it in the oven, um, it set the timer, by the time we got home, we'd walk in the house, it smelled like we set the table. we could eat, it was really get-go, so that was the number one, number two, you could add a lot of it, and, um, it-, and it wouldn't matter, because you could have pot roast on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? Like it just, that was leftovers, right? You just knew, it just kept in so roast beef, all this stuff. Uh, A a little, another secret about me, I don't like leftovers either, so... um became problems and so but that is one of those things you could always just make a lot the third reason though and this was to be honest this actually was the whole purpose of this is my mom and dad had this rule that there was always an open seat at their table and so if anybody ever didn't have a place to go on Sunday after church they would invite them and say would you want to come over and pot roast?" could offer enough to have, and so it's one of those things, and I'm always begging, hey, let's invite the entire church so there's none for me, and so I could get, you know, peanut butter and jelly or whatever else, but uh, <laughs> but, but it, the idea was this, is they wanted to always make sure there was enough food that they could always invite someone over To their table and and they wanted to have a seat and so i'll tell you what Very often on sundays there was two to three four people that would be at our house Sometimes we knew them sometimes we didn't but they were coming over to eat at our house And and, and what I found out as i'm looking at this and and i'm thinking about all this going on to this the series Isn't that what god does for us? He has a table that there's always an open seat and he's always ready to invite, and I'm so thankful that when I get to heaven, I don't think there's going to be pot roast, but there's always a place that he is ready to have an open seat for, for whoever has that. And I look at scripture, and as I go through the different passages, can you tell you... I learned pretty quickly that the table became a pretty big symbolism for people to have conversations through Scripture. And you look all over this, and there's a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, and they talk a little bit about this concept of the table and what Jesus' time, what that would look like. And there's a quote, it's in your bulletin, but it says this, it says, For them, the table was much more than a place to eat. It was a place of mutual trust and vulnerability. Sitting down at the same table with someone meant that you shared a protected relationship with them. Whom you ate with revealed something about who you were, showing to whom you belong. And man, as I look at that and I think about the people that Jesus ate with, that's eye-opening. To the Israelites, it also had special meaning. To the Israelites, the table would have meant family and friends. Table fellowship meant coming together with those that you loved and trusted to share not only a meal, but often to discuss Scripture as well. The table was a very significant meaning and not just Scripture, but to people. And i got to tell you, I don't think it's changed today, has it? We think about how much our life centers around food Mine more than most Right we like food but we but the uh, amount of times we are with people we don't like to eat alone And so we ha- have these meals that's going on when you look through scripture you see that very often I want to look at an instance today So if you have your Bible Luke chapter 14 or if you don't have your Bible pull up the CW app it's in there as well But Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be today And I want us to look at one instance of how Jesus interacted at the table. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisee and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do you not take the place of honor? For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place, then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus finishes in verse 12 with this. He says, And Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters your relatives your rich neighbors if you do they may invite you back and so you will be repaid but when you give a banquet invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind and you will be blessed although they cannot repay you you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous and here's the deal As Jesus is sitting down with this Pharisee, and as he's talking with them, I believe just in that interaction, he had some lessons that he was teaching them at the table that they might not have even known about that I think we can look at today. The first first lesson from the table, I think, is that the table was a place to connect. The table was a place to connect. Look what it says here. It says, One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And you see, so often, and we've talked, I just already mentioned this, but so often in Scripture, it is happens, these conversations happen over a meal. In the, in the book of Luke alone, there are, I think, nine instances I see Jesus eating over a meal. Luke chapter 5, he's eating with tax collectors. Luke chapter 7, he's eating with a different Pharisee, and this is when the woman begins to wash his feet with her hair. You remember that story? In Luke chapter 9, um, he, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And there might not have been a table there, but I think there was a picnic, right? Luke chapter 10, he was eating with Mary and Martha. And this is the story when Martha is doing all the work and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. In in Luke chapter 11, he's eating with another Pharisee, and this is the story where Jesus doesn't wash properly uh, according to the Pharisees' desires there. In Luke chapter 14, he's the story we're looking at now, eating with another Pharisee. In Luke chapter 19, this is where Jesus invites himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' house, right? For I'm coming to your house today, if you know the story, the song. Luke chapter 22, Jesus has a Passover meal with his disciples before he was betrayed. In Luke chapter 24, after he uh, is resurrected, he's eating with his disciples. Here's what I found out. Jesus likes to eat. He's my type of guy. Right? Now, if you take this and you look at that and say, hey, well, there's three meals in a day in over a year. That's 1,095 meals. Trust me, I know. I don't miss one. But as he has that, Jesus didn't have a place to go most of the time. He he and his disciples would go from town to town. And so quite often if he was going to eat, it was going to be with other people. And I get that. But when you look at those interactions that Jesus had, if you were to take each of those stories, and can I tell you what I, I encourage you to go through the week and look at those interactions, Jesus was so intentional with each of those meals to connect with those people and it wasn't about the food can I tell you it wasn't about the food it was about the connections a couple years ago our student ministry you might have seen them they had shirts that said taco Tuesday And, and the tagline on it said all about connections not about tacos right I mean we go to taco Tuesday and there's some bad tacos out there but we'll eat them when they're cheap right we go, hey, those are 50 cents, 75 cents, I'm going to eat those tacos, and we like them, sometimes Sometimes we don't. But it's not about the tacos, it's about the fellowship that you get to have with that. And for Jesus, that was the most important thing. How do we connect with those different people? And it wasn't the same people, you saw those nights, It's all different people that he was doing it. Another thing I noticed is, it, it said that this was on the Sabbath, right? Well, he he didn't meet with them in the church. He went to their house. Jesus got outside the church to meet with the people. And so that's my first question as we look at this lesson today, is where does connections with other people outside the church happen for you? Where does connections happen with people outside the church Happen for you Because as I look at Jesus's life and I look at his ministry He knew what it meant to connect And so often we like to keep to ourselves and I I get it But we are called and we talked about this a couple weeks ago to get outside these walls to connect with people who don't know Jesus And so where does that happen for you? The second thing I think that Jesus is teaching us, the next lesson here, is that the table is a place to reflect, then correct. Look what he says as he's talking to the Pharisee and the people there. He says, there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisee and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He's reflecting, he's saying, hey, I want you to think about what has been the law. Like, right? So this is the reflection side. But they remained silent. So taking hold of a man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So Jesus says, hey, I want you to reflect on this, Pharisee. I want you to think about what does the rule say? They didn't do that. He healed them, and then he says, okay, so let me, let me, let me correct you a little bit, because I'm taking your silence as you don't want to say what you think. What if this is your kid? Does it change? And he begins to correct them, but there was always that reflection. And, and, and this is interesting. For those of you who maybe you don't know what, when we talk about Pharisee what that meant to Jesus, a Pharisee was a religious leader, a teacher of the law. And, and, and what the Pharisees were known for is making sure that the laws of the Old Testament were kept intact so that people would follow those of, of the church. Imagine, to me, and, and this is an a, a overgeneralization, I, I think of it as kind of like the church police um, of making sure that, that, that they're making sure everything's going okay and so, hey, you didn't do that right. Because there, you know how many laws there were? If you go through Genesis, dude, there are over 600 laws. That was set up, and so they were they were making sure. And so how how did they make sure? How did they make sure people would follow those laws? They made rules s- to not break the rules. So it says, hey, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so what they said is, well, the new rule is that you can't walk another a half a mile from your home because if you go more than a half mile, you have to walk the half mile back. That's a full mile. That's too much work on the Sabbath. That's what constitutes. There's the new rule. They love to make rules to follow the rules by the time they were done. I think there's over 900 laws That were all set up It's crazy And so jesus is looking at them and saying hey guys, you're missing and So he would he would meet these guys to the point where jesus would get frustrated with them a lot If you look through scripture, that's so often what we think of right And so so you look at this in matthew chapter 23. Jesus looks at him goes woe to you teachers of the law pharisees you hypocrites You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And Jesus is sitting here getting frustrated with these these Pharisees because that was their focus, right? That's what was going on. And he's saying, hey, guys, you missed it. And yet, did you notice, did you notice When I listed all the places in luke where jesus met with people How many of them were pharisees of the nine there was three Yeah, he kept going back to the pharisees Why Because I think he wanted to help I think he wanted to get these pharisees to understand guys. Don't miss what you have here you need to reflect on the purpose, the part of that, and then we need to correct what people think of so we can get them closer to Jesus. And so often we as believers, and because I think we do this too, we neglect our relationship with others to make sure that they know when they're doing wrong, especially in the church, right? We want to make sure people know exactly when, hey, you're doing something wrong. We have become at times the church police on what's okay and what's not okay you see we want to be a church we want to be a church that allows people to come and belong before they believe right that you can come in here and be who you are and then once you're here then we can tell you who Jesus is and guess what Jesus handles the rest we don't need to We use a phrase around here at Colonial Woods that would say rules without relationship equals rebellion. That if if we want to set up rules but we don't have relationship, right, we haven't connected with you, it leads to rebellion or people pushing us away saying, hey, you don't know me. You don't get that. Why do you have the right to tell me where it's at? It's in that relationship that we can do that. My son is in um, second grade. He's eight years old. He loves church church. He loves coming here. Um, and we have an amazing children's ministry program Um, and i'm not just saying that because I work here I'm saying it because I have a son and i've had two daughters who've gone through the program and and recently They have been going through some of the ten commandments And can I tell you wilson has become the uh ten commandment police in our house If he thinks we have done something against the ten commandments He makes sure he quotes that at us and, and, and the other day, Wilson, Wilson came home from school, and he was frustrated. And he was upset. He goes, Dad, I, 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 and there, people aren't listening to me at school. I said, what do you mean? He said, do you know at school they use the Lord's name in vain? And I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah, they say, oh, my. And then he whispered to me the name God. He goes, we learned in church that is using the Lord's name in vain. And I go, oh, yeah, buddy, sometimes people don't always know. That. He goes, well, what makes me more mad is when I tell them, they don't stop. <laughs> I go, oh, you tell them? He goes, oh, I make sure they know. And then they get mad at me. They get mad. And they say, hey, I can say whatever I want and all this stuff. And he goes, I, that's just not Okay. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, here's my son walking around telling people who he doesn't have a relationship. They haven't gone to church, and he's making sure that they know, hey, you know, don't say OMG because that's going to be used in the Lord's name. So we came up with this phrase and said, hey, Wilson, hey, what you need to do, is it's okay to let them know that, that that's not where you stand, but, but then you got to let it go. <laughs> right? Let them know, and then let it go. And can I tell you, friends, sometimes I think that's what we need to do. We have a position where people don't know Jesus, we should let them know who Jesus is, and then we can do that work, right? We have to make sure we reflect with them before we can correct them. But the problem is, is we can't stop there because if they are believers, we have an obligation. Not to go out and be the police, but we do have an obligation to stand our ground on what is truth. And we live in a world today that it is hard, and it is tough, and sometimes we get shamed, and we get all these different things when we stand on truth. And when I talk about truth, I'm talking about this, right? What God has spoken to us, and when we interact with other believers especially... There comes a time that we need to say those people who say this is the word of God who believe that if something's going wrong, that we need to correct. And that's a hard conversation. And so, rules without rebellion, uh, rules without relationship equals rebellion. But I would tell you this: relationships that lack hard conversations equals enablement. And at times, we have enabled people to do things that we know are wrong by our silence. And Jesus understood. That's why when he goes into Pharisees' houses, he never goes in and says, hey, you guys are wrong right away. He always sits down. He connects. He gives them questions to think on. And then in the right moment, he says, but here's the deal. Here's the deal, guys. Do you know this? He says, what about with you? I love when, he, when he's talking to these Pharisees, he looks at them and he says, guys, here's what the rule says. What are you thinking? They stayed silent. And he goes, okay, but now put yourself in their shoes. What if this was your kid? What if this was your situation? And we all know this. We're really good at keeping hold to the rules until we're involved, Right? And he says, hey, if this is you, let's make sure we understand the heart of this. What did did God really say about that rule? What was God's place on that rule? When we sit down at a table with other people, we have to have relationship. If we don't, we have to make sure where we stand. But if we do, there comes a place that we might need to have a hard conversation Where we need to reflect on what's going on here. And then allow the Holy Spirit to convict as necessary. Man, that's a real truth from the table that Jesus was showing these Pharisees. The third thing, the third thing that I see happen here is the table is a place to expect. It's a place to expect. Look at this, if you go down to verse 12. Jesus says to the host, he says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, he says, here's what you should expect. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He says, hey, friends, here's the deal. There comes a time that you're going to need to invite people to the table. And you're going to expect a few things when you do that. I need you to know, but that's the goal. That's the call. The call is that you will be called to invite people to your table. That's our call today, actually. Is who are we going to invite to the table? But he says, if you're going to do that, there's a few things I want you to expect when you do that. And I don't want you to miss it because I think you guys have missed it because you're sitting here about, hey, let's invite all of our friends, our neighbors. No, 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 no. We've got to expect a couple different things. The first thing, and I see Jesus actually modeled this. He modeled it after he gave this message. He modeled this at the end of his life. The first thing that we should do is we should expect to serve. If we are a believer and we're inviting people to the table, we need to expect to serve the people that we're inviting. In John chapter 13, this is the Passover meal right before Jesus was betrayed. It says, so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Son of God, before he's going to sacrifice himself to everybody else, right? Before all that's going to happen, he invited these guys to a meal, and he washed their feet. He said, I came to serve you. Why? Because I want you to understand what is expected of you in this role of host, of the person who invites. The second thing he wanted them, I think, to expect is that we should expect to sacrifice Right, In Luke chapter 24, Jesus, Jesus comes back from the dead. He's raised from the dead. So we just celebrated Easter, and he comes back from the dead, and he sits down with them at that meal, and he says, hey, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of all sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And he says, here's the deal, that when we give there's going to be a sacrifice when we invite someone to our table when we say hey i want them to know jesus there's a sacrifice now here's the deal jesus already paid the ultimate sacrifice right we learned last week in the ultimate story the ma- most amazing story ever told that jesus paid the, the sacrifice for sins so what is our job at the table is to make sure people understand the sacrifice And we can do that in a very various couple ways. And and it might, though, involve, and I'm going to guarantee it does involve some sacrifice on our part. Sacrifice of our time. Sacrifice of our money. Sacrifice of our status. Sacrifice of our desires. Sacrifice of our selfish ambition. Sacrifice of our plans in place of his plans. that's tough that is so hard but if we're going to invite people to the table we have to expect to sacrifice the third thing what we should expect is we should expect to be sent jesus is having his final meal before he ascends right notice all of these is a meal (laughs) final meal before he ascends and it says in verse chapter one verse four on one occasion while he was eating with them he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift My father promised Which you have heard me speak about But you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you And you will be my witnesses In Jerusalem And in Judea And on Samaria And to the ends of the earth He says guess what Here's what you need to be expected to do Is you're going to be sent Sent where? Everywhere Sent to invite Where are you inviting them? To the table Why? Because you need to start having conversations I want you to start Conversations because he's saying Now is the time for us friends To prepare the table Now is the time for us to invite People to the table He's not just telling his disciples He's saying anyone who believes in Jesus We are called To invite others to The table So, as we're getting ready to close, my question for this is this, who are you going to allow at your table? See, so often I have a list, there's people that want a table, but I have a lot of times a list of who I don't want at my table. (laughs) I know no one else in here, that's just me, right? But what if I asked you to say, hey, take that even out, go back to the beginning and say, God... Who should I allow at this table? Who needs you like I need you? And when I figure that out, then who should I might make that invitation to? My parents, as we left the house and grew up, they haven't stopped inviting people. Sunday afternoon, still, it's roast. <laughs> But anybody can come Their table looked a little different You see They got to a place where they said Hey during the week a lot of times my table's Smaller and it was such big They said we want a different type of table And so we have actually a woodworker In the family and they said Hey can you create us a new table That can be kind of shrunk down During the week but if we need to As people come we can make it bigger As needed And so this woodworker, my cousin's name's Michael, he says, how big do you want the table? My dad goes, well, how big can you make the table? (laughs) He says, there's a lot I can do based on how the structure works. And I want to show you a picture. This is not my parents' table. I was not able to get a picture, to be honest. We end up playing and hanging out too much um, that we never get pictures of us because we're talking and enjoying family time. This table is a big table. This table is actually smaller than my parents' table that they made. My parents' table, when fully taken out, can fit 16 people. It has five leaves. It literally takes like five people to pull the table out, put each leaf in there, and does that. And my dad said, hey, but during the week, it shrinks down to like only fit like four people, six years old. My mom and dad, they don't feel like they're talking at the end of the table. But they said, we want a table that no matter who comes, we can always make it bigger. And so go get another leaf, Dan. We're going to put it in the table. And there are times we'll go to visit. We'll keep shutting it. The table doesn't fit in our dining room. They literally have to turn it when they open it up at an angle. And it's literally going out of the room into another room. But there will always be room that if they have to invite anybody at a moment's notice, let's go get a leaf. We were talking this week, and my dad goes, yeah, we had to get out the backup table to the 16-people table the other day. They have a backup table. It's not even a kid's table because they want everybody at the same table. It's the backup table. Who are you going to invite to the table? Do you have room? Where is your table? When you have the table, who's going to come to it? Because here's the deal, it's, it's, the table's a metaphor, right? It's something that we understand, it's there, but it's, it's bigger than that. Your table could look completely different than my parents' table. Your table could be the bench on the river walk as you're watching boats go by. Your table could be the cubicle in your office that you invite someone to. Your table could be the the, the place at your favorite coffee shop that you sit and do work. It could be the booth at your favorite restaurant that that you talk to the same waiter or waitress who comes to you every time. Your table could be the sofa in your living room. The table is a metaphor. The invitation is not. The invitation should be for every single person who needs to know Jesus, who needs to know the story that we heard last week, that we celebrated last week. And the inviter should be us. Where's your table? And who are you inviting to it? That's the challenge. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that as you connect with us would you allow us to see things the way that you see them to see people the way that you see them? would you allow us to have a table with five six seven eight leaves that is always open to share you with others and father i know that that's hard and i know that sometimes that's a lot to ask and i know that sometimes that may sacrifice even if we use food as the option money Uh, It takes time, but you have called us to sacrifice, to send the message of who you are and what you want from us. May we be a church that allows people to belong before they believe. May we be a church who always has an open seat. May we always be a place that invites people to the table. It's in your name we pray amen. This morning, if you feel that you want to come forward and we have prayer partners, maybe there's someone you need to pray specifically for that you want to invite to the table, but whatever it is, don't leave today without thinking through who has God called you to invite this morning. You're dismissed.